You're listening to the New Hope Church podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in. I have the privilege this morning of introducing Daryl to you because not everybody here knows him. The fact is, I have known Daryl longer than any of you. In 1975, back before dirt was created, (laughs) um, I was working my way through seminary and another young man and woman lived in the same trailer park that we lived in. And uh, Daryl also was working his way through seminary. So we flipped hamburgers together at the Burger Queen. Yes, that's not a mistake. The mascot was Queenie Bee, and a young lady in a bee outfit would come by every once in a while and uh, dance around, and kids would, would love it. I, uh, I got to meet Daryl. Then and uh, we shared together. We we uh, shared some meals together, and uh, then twelve years later, Linda and I were in Canada, where we were in a study program. And I got a call saying that a friend of yours would like you to come to his church. I said, "Who?" And they said, "Daryl Riley." When New Hope Church was founded, Daryl wanted the church to be a mission supporting church. So he walked over to, or he drove over to OMS. He asked, what missionaries do you have? They gave him a list, and he looked down the list and said, I used to flip hamburgers with that guy. I wanted him. So uh, we were the first missionaries, actually, that New Hope uh, supported. You may not know the history of New Hope. It grew out of a number of Christians who gathered together, even before they had a pastor. But after meeting together, For several months, almost a year, they approached Daryl and invited him to pastor them. They met for a Christmas assembly in the chapel at Franklin College in 1986. They held their first worship service in the Center Grove, uh, actually at at another church, then moved on to Center Grove High School, then to Center Grove Middle School. The first uh, worship service was January 11th, 1987, I believe that was. Now they grew pretty quickly from the 190 who came to that first worship service to about 270. They acquired this plot of land where our building uh, sits today. Construction was finished in 1988, and here you can see in the construction picture, uh, whoops, we skipped over one there. Uh, There is another picture, there we go. You can see Center Grove, Center Grove Middle School North was being constructed there in the background, but... uh, what, what is that then? Is that Pleasant Grove? 
Okay, so that's Pleasant Grove. Well, the church met in uh, the sanctuary for the first time at Christmas of 1988. Now we can see the sanctuary. 629 people attended that Christmas meeting. The church grew. As it grew, an addition was added in 1996 and 97. That new addition included new classrooms, offices, and a gymnasium. But as it is now, it's always been about the people. New Hope started as a healthy church for a hurting world. And it continues that same history today, striving to live, love, and go like Jesus. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you, Peg, for your faithfulness in leading this body from 1987 to 1999. My, how things change. <laughs> Daryl, come and speak to us, would you please? Thank you, Randy. Well, good morning. Um, if you have your Bible or Bible app, if you want to turn to the book of Acts, we'll be looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 41. Uh, while you're uh, turning there, uh, where, where's Peggy? Peggy's here, so they want She has so much to do with New Hope Church as well, and uh, so we're just delighted to be here and feel so honored uh, to be a part of this uh, service today. So, well, our scripture that we want to focus on this morning comes from the book of Acts, beginning at uh, the second chapter, beginning at verse 42. And this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and held everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you desire to say to us this morning. We invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Help us to have open and responsive hearts to you. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning I've been asked to address the question, uh, is church important? Now, in one sense, the obvious answer is yes. Uh, if I said no, uh, <laughs> there'd be no reason for us to be. That'd be the shortest sermon in history. We'd all leave and go home. There'd be no reason for us to be here. Uh, but this morning, I, I want to deal honestly with that question. And uh, if we're going to do that, it demands more than just a simple yes or no. In fact, how we answer that question today really depends on who we're talking to. Statistics tell us today that more and more people in the United States and in Europe uh, are saying, no, the church is not important. 
When you look at attendance and involvement and giving, you know, all of the external factors uh, for the church, uh, all of those are down. Church Tracks, a research firm, uh, confirmed this in their 2023 State of the Church. They reported that three out of every ten adults re, uh, identify themselves as nuns. That means they have no religious affiliation, no church involvement. They're not interested in the church at all. Fifty-seven percent of the adults that were in this survey said that they had seldom or never attended a religious service. And then this kind of shocked me. 16% of the Christians that regularly attended church before COVID uh, have never yet returned. Now that's sad, but we don't need outside research to confirm this. We, we can see it all around. Uh, the church where Peggy and I attend is right across the street from a golf course. So every Sunday as we drive to church, the golf course is packed. Uh, but you probably saw the same kind of thing as you came today. If you drove by a, a store, you probably saw that the parking lot had cars in it and people were there shopping, going about their everyday life. Or maybe you saw people out uh, working in the yard or raking leaves. Or maybe when you talk to people about the church, they say, well, you know, I used to go, but, you know, the kids got involved in this and there was this travel team and, and, and we got busy and we just kind of got out of the habit and never got back. And so as we're dealing with the question, is church important, we really need to start with the honest reality that there's a growing number of people that both by their words as well as by their actions are saying, no, church is not important. Now, that's not what we'd like to hear, but that's the reality of the world that we're living in today. Now, why is that? How is the church today different from the church that we see in the New Testament. Those early followers of Jesus, for them, it was no question about the importance of the church. Now, granted, they didn't have buildings, they didn't see the church as an organization or an institution, but they did see the church as being a commitment to Jesus Christ and a commitment to one another. They, they viewed themselves, they viewed one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. They, they were family together, and as a result of that, they would share the, the joys and the challenges and the difficulties of everyday life. They, they did life together. The story begins in the, in the book of Acts. 120 people had gathered together in the upper room, and, and, and as they were praying together, uh, the Holy Spirit came. And after the Holy Spirit filled them, Peter goes out, and as, as he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, preaches his first sermon. And Acts 2.41, the verse just prior to the one that we read this morning, 3,000 people respond to Peter's message, and they said yes to Jesus and accepted him as their Savior. Just a few verses later in chapter 4, we are told that the number has grown to 5,000 men. Just a little bit later in that chapter, we are told that the men and women were increasing. When we get to the 6th chapter, we are told that the disciples are multiplying rapidly. And then just a little bit later, we continue to hear that the number of believers are increasing greatly. Now, what's going on here? Now, this is more than just the numerical growth of the church. These are real, live people. 
that when they hear the good news about Jesus Christ, they respond and accept Jesus. And when they do this, their lives are changed. And as their lives are changed, this would in fact then change families, which would change relationships, which would change cities, which would eventually change the world. Now, why is it so different today? Now, quite frankly, this is a question that I was asking in the mid-1980s, which really led to the founding of New Hope Church. At the time, I was a, a pastor in a mainline denomination, and it seemed to me that many of the churches were just kind of going through the motion. They'd lost their focus. They lost their passion for Jesus. Now, many of these churches were very active. There were lots of activities, uh, but not a lot of fruit. Now, I'd been studying this passage that I read for you this morning. And as I've studied the book of Acts, I kept coming back to this, this passage in, in Acts 2. And I thought, this is what Jesus is intending for his followers. This is what Jesus is intending for his church to experience. And I got so excited that I, I made an appointment to talk with my denominational leader. And as I shared with him what I was seeing about the local church, it became very clear very soon that we did not share the same vision for the local church. In fact, he reached out. He actually patted my knees and said, son, son, keep your bags packed. We want to keep you moving up the ladder and moving to bigger and better churches. I can't tell you how discouraged I was. And so Peggy and I began to pray, and, and we recognized it was time for us to, to leave the, that denomination. Now, this was not an easy choice for us. The church that we were serving at the time was a solid church. People were good people. In the time that we'd been there, the congregation had doubled in size. We had just built a new sanctuary and, and remodeled the, the entire facility. And uh, because someone had donated some property to us and we sold that property, we were able to do all of this and the congregation was debt free. So there were many good things going on in the, in, in the life of that congregation. But we just knew that the denomination was not supportive of our ministry. And so we knew it was time to leave. Now, at that time, there was a, a church near Peggy's hometown in Ohio uh, that we knew about, and they were in a pastoral search, and so we decided that we would uh, apply to that congregation. And so I called a, a friend of mine that uh, he'd been in a Bible study that I'd been leading here in, in Greenwood, uh, and, and I asked him if I could use him as a reference. And he said, well, I'd, I'd be happy to, to be a reference, for, a reference for you. But he said, you know, there's a group of us that have been meeting. And as we've been meeting together and talking, we feel like God might be leading us to start a church. And uh, he said, well, you know, if um, God confirms that's the direction that we should go, uh, would you consider being our pastor? And I said, well, I'm honored, but. Quite frankly, I don't know anything about planting a church. And that was true. <laughs> but, uh, and I said, you know, I, I've known only two pastors that have ever tried to plant a church, and both of them failed miserably. I just don't think that's for me. And besides this church in Ohio, it seems like a perfect fit. He goes, well, okay, well, before we get off the phone, can I ask you one question? I said, well, sure. He said, well, would you at least pray about it? 
Don't you hate that when your mind is made up? <laughs> and you know what you're going to do. And someone said, well, won't you at least pray? And I said, well, okay, we'll, we'll pray about it. Well, there is a whole nother story about what happened uh, with the church in Ohio. But in that time, God kept bringing me back to this passage in Acts 2 and this idea of what the church was supposed to be and, and the thought of, of planting a church. And eventually I was invited to come down and, and meet with a group that had been meeting for the Bible study. And basically, as we met together, I said, here's what I think Jesus wants to see in his church today. And we looked again at some of the priorities uh, from this Acts 2 passage. In the passage, we see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And so I said, you know, a, a church today, we really need to be devoted to biblical teaching. That needs to be the foundation of what we do. The scripture says that they were devoted to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so the church really needs to be a place of, of deep fellowship and connection and caring for one another. It's not just a, a social gathering. It's not just a Sunday morning experience. But the church needs to be a place where we're doing life together and we're investing in one another's lives. The scripture tells us that the church was filled with awe as there were miracles in the midst and, and God was doing great things and people were celebrating what God was doing. And so I said the church needs to be a place of celebration and expectation. When we come together and as we think about what the church is, we should have an expectation that God will be moving. I might just ask when you get ready to come to church today, what's your expectation? Are you expecting God to show up and do something significant maybe in your life or the life of people that you're with? God wants that for us. And then finally I said the church was a generous church. They demonstrated generosity not only with their financial possessions, their material possessions, but they were generous with their time and their lives as they invested with one another. Well, that meeting went well and they decided, well, let's continue some of these meetings. And, and so we met together with different groups and decided that if there was a critical mass of people that would affirm, yes, this is the Lord's direction, that we would move forward. 27 families said yes. They said, yes, we, we believe that the south side of Indianapolis needs a church like this. Now, let me just say this morning, what you say yes to is so very important. Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as your savior? <laughs> that is the most important yes you can ever make. And, and if you've never done that, I would encourage you to do that because that is a life-changing yes. But Jesus never intended that for that initial yes to be a one-and-done yes. It's to be an ongoing process. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that abundant life that he has in mind for us is when we continue to say yes to him and surrender our lives and yield to his direction. And so your yes will not only impact your life, but it also will impact the lives of other people. This ministry... This property, this building, it all began when 27 families said yes. And then there were more and more people that added their yes to the original yeses. 
And so when you think about all the lives that have been touched, the people that have been impacted by the ministry of New Hope Church over these past 35 years, it all began when people were willing to say yes to Jesus and yes to the church. Your yeses do matter, not just for you, but your yeses can make an eternal difference in someone else's life. When, when we look at the New Testament vision for the church, it's really about a commitment to Jesus and a commitment to one another. And so when you say yes to Jesus, you are the church. And the church is important to Jesus. After all, it's his church. I mean, in Matthew 16, 8, Jesus says, I will build my church. Paul stresses the importance of the church in, in 1 Timothy 3.15. There he says that the church of the living God is the foundation and the pillar of truth. God has given us, he's given the church, the Bible, as his revealed truth for the world. Now, now I know today there are a lot of different uh, opinions, and unfortunately many people today feel like their opinion is the truth. <laughs> But we need to be very, very careful that if someone's opinion is different than the revealed word of God, that we need to be making sure that we're siding with God's truth in his word. Hebrews 10, 20, uh, 10 24 and 25 uh, reminds us that uh, we should be able to help one another to do good. And that we shouldn't stay away from the church meetings because some people are doing this all the time. The scripture goes on to say, comfort one another as you see that day of his return coming near. Now, with all that's going on in the Middle East these days, uh, there are a lot of people talking about prophecy and end times and that type of thing. And uh, we're not going to get into all of the different nuances of that uh, but one thing we can all agree upon, no matter what your view of the end times might be, one thing we can agree upon is that today we are one day closer to his return than we were yesterday. And so we have the opportunity to make sure that we're ready, but also to do all that we can to make sure that others are ready. Now we could spend the whole rest of the morning looking at the scripture and talking about how the Bible says that the church is important. Uh, and that would be a good thing to do. But you know, in reality today, we need to do more than just convince those of us that are already convinced. The task before us and the task before the church is today to help the no's to become maybes and the maybes to become yeses. To help everyone move just a little bit closer to saying yes to Jesus. And this morning, I want to suggest three things that, that all of us can do, every one of us can do, to connect with the growing numbers of no's and maybes in our world today. First of all, we can focus on a person before a place. Now, most people, when they think about a church, they immediately think about a location or, or a church building, and, and that's okay. But if we're going to connect with the no's and maybes today, we need to move beyond a place to a person. We need to move to talking about Jesus. See, Jesus is the only one that has the power to change everything. He's the one that can change a life. 
Now, some of you from my generation, you might remember the old Gaither song, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Well, that's true. There is something different about the name of Jesus. I mean, think about it in the course of everyday conversation. It's much easier to say to someone, well, God bless you, or would the Lord be with you? But to incorporate the name of Jesus in conversation, uh, that takes a little bit more effort. I remember talking with a, a pastor once. He was pastoring a small church and he was seeing people come to know Jesus and accept Jesus as Savior and, and their church began to grow. And, and so I asked him, I said, well, what are you doing? And, and he smiled and he said, well, it's really quite simple. He said, a few months ago, I decided that when I was talking to people, I wanted to be more intentional about saying the name of Jesus in our conversation. I just wasn't going to say generic things about God. I wanted to say something about Jesus. And so as I was doing that, I encouraged people in our congregation to start doing it. And so in the whole congregation, we started looking for ways to just naturally incorporate the name of Jesus in the midst of our everyday conversation. And he said it was amazing what began to happen. <laughs> as we did this, there were people that actually came to know Jesus as their Savior. And once they accepted Jesus, they started attending our church and our church was growing. But he said beyond the new people that was coming to our church, it also began to impact the members of our church. As we started being aware and saying the name of Jesus in our conversation, we became more and more aware of his presence in our everyday lives. And in that process, the members, we began growing in our relationship in, in our love for Jesus. Now, I'm not just, I'm not proposing that if we just go around and say the name of Jesus, that that's going to become kind of a, an evangelistic or a church growth strategy. But I do think that's where it begins for us as yeses. We need to be demonstrating a growing love for Jesus. The great commandment begins by saying we need to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind. And some of the verses go on to say to, to, with our strength or with our might. It's talking about our whole being, that we love God with everything we have. And we know that yet in the courts of everyday life, with the busyness of life, sometimes Jesus can get lost in the daily pace of life. But as we grow more and more in love with Jesus, as we become more aware of his presence in our lives, it's going to impact how we go about our daily lives. It's going to impact our families. It's going to make a difference in how we talk with other people and how we interact with our friends and co-workers. If the focus and the priority is not about Jesus, if we miss his love, his grace, his forgiveness, if we forget about the transformation he came to give us, then we've missed the point. And so unless we, as yeses, demonstrate a growing love for Jesus, we're going to have a very difficult time connecting with the no's and maybes in our world. So when we talk about church, let's begin with a focus on the person, Jesus, before a place. Well, the second thing that we can do is focus on people before programs. Now, I'm not against programs or great programs and ministries and outreach, but we need to be quite honest about why we offer them. 
My current uh, role before I retired, I was a superintendent of the Southeast region for my denomination, and uh, that was five different states in the Bahamas, and in the midst of that, there's about 50-some churches that I was uh, overseeing, and as I worked with some of these different churches, I can't tell you how many times I heard people at the church say, you know, we did this big event, this big uh, outreach, we did this thing and that thing, and, and it was great because people came to the church, but the sad thing was that no one came back to our church later, and so we wonder, was it really worth it? And the real question I wanted to ask is, why did you offer that big thing? that program, that outreach? Did you do it to help people and to serve them? Or was that simply a way to get them to come to your church? Now, sure, we want people to come to our church, but is that the main motivation behind what we're doing? See, people are pretty cynical today, and they can sense if our primary motive is just to get them to our church. And so do our programs, our ministries, and our outreach, do they flow out of a love for people? And that's true for the church as a whole, but also for us as individuals. Can we do things without any strings attached? Giving, loving, serving, without any expectation of anything in return. That is really hard. But that's what selfless love is all about. When we talked about the first half of the great commandment, Jesus said that we should love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second part of that commandment is that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, we're to not only love Jesus, we're to love people. Now, I think the unfortunate thing is that we're not given the option of picking and choosing who we love. We're to love everybody. Jesus puts it this way in John 13. He says, if you love each other, then all people will know that you are my disciples. Now, he's not only talking about loving one another within the church, but also recognizing we have an opportunity to love all people. So to connect with the no's and the maybes today, it, it begins as we get to know them. And as we develop a relationship with them and we see that they begin to see that we care genuinely about them as a person, as an individual. And we love them not so they will come, but we love them because we care and we want to help them to come into the presence of Jesus. So first of all, we focus on a person before a place, on Jesus. We love Jesus. That's the center of it all. Secondly, we can focus on people before our program. We can love people. And then the third thing that I would encourage us to do is to focus on a go before a come mindset. For such a long time, the primary mindset of the church was basically come to us. In fact, the attractional model was the rage for many years. And if you had the latest technology and the hottest worship band and the coolest kids facility, uh, if you build it, they will come. And many people did come. But they came as spectators, our consumers. And many times pastors failed. We failed in the process because we almost made it sound to the congregation that their main job was simply to invite people to come to church. Now, do we want people to come to church? Well, of course. Should we invite them to come to church? Yes. But in this day and age, I don't think that can be our starting point. 
That's not where it begins. When you go back to the book of Acts, when you think about uh, how those believers gathered together in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came, when the Spirit came upon them, it was a powerful experience. They knew that it had to be shared. Now, I was thinking if that happened today, our, our natural response might be, hey, come and join us. Or maybe we develop a TV or a radio campaign to invite people to come. We'd say, come to the upper room, come and experience what we've experienced. But that's not what happened in the book of Acts. When those Jesus followers experience, had this great experience, they realized they needed to leave the room. They needed to take the life-changing message out into the community. And I think that's a challenge for we yeses today. If we want to impact the no's and the maybes of our world, we need to be willing to leave the room. We need to be willing to go outside the walls of the church building. We need to be sure that we're out into the community, in the workplace, on this, in the schools, on the little league, or on the soccer fields. And we're seeking to be a light for Jesus that attracts people to the life-giving message of Jesus. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples. I like God's word translation. It says, Wherever you go, make disciples. It's just simply reminding us that whenever and wherever we go, we're on mission for Jesus. It needs to be an intentional part of our everyday lives. So is the church important? Yeah, it's important to God. The church is God's plan A to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. There is no plan B. There's no backup plan. It's up to us. It's up to the church. Is the church important to the growing numbers of no's and maybes? Well, maybe not. But it can be. It can be. If we as the church will love Jesus and love people, and if we're willing to leave the room with the hope and love that Jesus offers, then I think the no's and the maybes will be more willing to seriously consider the life and the message of Jesus. As we get ready to close this morning, I saw on uh, New Hope's website, uh, your tagline, live, love, and go like Jesus. I mean, that is such a simple, powerful statement. Uh, I told Randy, I said, honestly, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> I mean, that is really good. But that statement really captures what the church is all about. Now, that's great that New Hope has a wonderful statement. But the real question is, what does that mean for you? What does that mean in your life? You know, having an awesome tagline is great, but if they're just words on the website, if it's not something that each of us are seeking to put into practice in our everyday life, then that statement is nothing more than just some nice words. So as we end this morning, I'm going to allow you to have a few moments just to listen to what God might be saying to you. See, what's important today is not what I'm saying, but what God might be saying to you. And so I'd just like for you to take a few moments to, to think about these questions. Uh, ask yourself the question, what would it mean for me today? 
to live like Jesus lived? You know, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Am I growing in my relationship with him? Am I maturing? Am I more patient, more loving, more kind, more compassionate? Am I becoming more like Jesus in my daily life? Or what would it mean for you to love like Jesus? Is there a person that comes to mind? Maybe a situation that needs to be resolved? Maybe someone that you need to apologize to? Or someone you need to forgive? Or maybe ask forgiveness for? Or or perhaps it's something as simple as just sending someone an email or a note or giving them a phone call and just say, thinking of you today and just wanted you to know that you're in my thoughts and prayers. And finally, what would it mean for me today to go like Jesus? Go is an action word. (laughs) You have to do something. Where might you need to go? And what might you need to do to go like Jesus? So think about that. You know, what would it mean for me today and tomorrow to live, love, and go like Jesus? I'm going to invite the worship team if they would come forward and, and uh, just invite you to take just a few quiet moments where you could reflect on some of these questions and think, Lord, what, what do you have to say to me today? So would you come quietly before the Lord and just listen to what he might be saying to you. And then I'll close in prayer before we have our final song. Father, we live in a, we confess we live in a world that is so broken and So many have turned away from you and from your ways and and even from your church. And Lord, um, more than anything else, we want people to experience the life transformation that comes through relationship with Jesus. And so we recognize it's not an institution that's going to make a difference, but it's individual lives uh, living out the message and the hope of Jesus. And so help us, Lord, to be your church, to be your people, to love you, to love one another, and to leave the room to go out into the world, into our communities, into our workplace, to reflect the life and love of Jesus. We pray this in the good and strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.